that's me. <laughs> so fun, funzy, funzy thing for the morning, Jake. We were we were just talking about if we live streamed our individual selves in our individual pursuits, and what would be fun about that. And uh, I was thinking for, for for me, it would be like if I was to like garbage write and like screen share, just like what was coming out of my head. That'd be uh, cool. If I could type that fast, yeah. Mm-hmm. For Stephanie, it'd be like the slashing. Well, I make it green though instead of red, so it doesn't Aww, look as like that's nice. How welcoming and affirming! <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but it's only green for me. If I send it to you, you have to change your own color. So, oh, okay. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But what would that look like for you, Jake, if you live streamed yourself? Oh, your yeah. If if I did, there'd be a lot of typing, a lot of like not so much programming or like straight out programming because I get probably. Depending on the day, I probably average two hours worth of like heads down coding. A lot of it is not too many meetings, thankfully, but like researching. So like you'll see me scrolling through our code base, searching around. We have the program that I use, I use uh, tap shift twice really fast. And it's like an awesome search that just goes through everything. Uh, and then you'll hear a lot of swearing because I'm like, what? why did they do this? <laughs> why? <laughs> it makes no sense. And then other than that, yeah, it's yeah a lot of coding. You'll see me pull up a website and refresh it over and over again to see if my changes are working. And yeah, so I, I feel like streaming programming is very boring. But how could we make it more exciting? <laughs> I could wear fun hats. There you go. That's all it takes is a fun hat. Welcome to the Word and Journey podcast, conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think, and some stories that are just for fun. We're busy people reading books in realistic increments. Follow along in the book and join in the conversation, or just sit back and enjoy. Our aim is to unpack the story and offer you things to ponder. Either way, thanks for being here. Welcome to the Word and Journey podcast, conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think about all sorts of sad things and all the ways the world could go straight to heck in the far future. Uh, This is Moses Burnaby and my favorite co-hosts are here. Aw, we're your favorites? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're the only ones here. But we like being the favorites. Too. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I should be careful with that because my other one's my brother. So, um, <laughs> so my my, fa- my favorite yeah. my favorite non family co hosts so far. This is Jake. This is Stephanie. Hi. And, uh, Hello. We are we are. This is an interesting interesting moment because we are finishing 1984 uh, just in time for the start of Great Lent and the start of the war in Ukraine. So. Hopefully, by the time this actually airs, you will not only have also gotten to see, listen to our brief series on the Wheel of Time, but uh, hopefully the war will be over too. Uh, <laughs> that, we, that would be nice. Hope. Yes. That would be nice. Yeah, I just hear the optimism oozing out of my voice. <sighs> yeah, I'm not going to touch that one because I don't even know enough to make uninformed comments. But anyway, we are, we are here and we are going to finish 1984 finally. This felt long, and <laughs> I was thinking to myself, like uh, Jake and Stephanie, I like I like you two, and this is this is fun, but like this hasn't been like a, an enjoy. This almost almost hasn't been an enjoyable experience, just because like I haven't really enjoyed the book. Yeah, so. yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. It's been uh, it's been an interesting book for sure, and I feel accomplished in the way that like 1984 is one of the the books that you're supposed to read, I guess, as a computer scientist, software engineer, not that it's like part of any curriculum, but it seems like so many of my cohort have read that book. And like, I just never got around to it. And so you can blame me because I think I was the one who suggested this book for (laughs) for the next episode. (laughs) I just like that I get all the references. Yes. Yes. This this does seem to be filling in some references. So... (laughs) So we will get into 1984, but I'm going to take us in a completely different direction for a moment to 
to a preview for for the next series which um, this so Ooh. this is so this is one sorry jake and stuff I, I i already pre-recorded this one with my brother oh, i'm so offended i know but it'll be good so i will read the first half page and the co-host or the listener can try to guess which novel it is and then i will <laughs> mention it at the end i'll try to remember to do that so here we go Tyler gets me a job as a waiter. After that, Tyler's pushing a gun in my mouth and saying, the first step to eternal life is you have to die. For a long time, though, Tyler and I were best friends. People are always asking, did I know about Tyler Durden? The barrel of the gun pressed against the back of my throat. Tyler says, we really won't die. With my tongue, I can feel the silencer holes we drilled into the barrel of the gun. Most of the noise a gunshot makes is expanding gases, and there's the tiny sonic boom a bullet makes because it travels so fast. To make a silencer, you just drill holes in the barrel of the gun. A lot of holes. This lets the gas escape and slows the bullet to below the speed of sound. You drill the holes wrong and the gun will blow off your hand. This isn't really death, Tyler says. We'll be legend. We won't grow old. So, uh, if you have an inkling of what story that is, you can feel proud of yourself. But don't say anything until the end because (laughs) I need my episode thunder. I love it. Yes. And yes, this also marks our first time attempting to live stream. So we are live on Facebook. So if you happen to be listening to this live, feel free to leave a comment. And if you're not listening to it live, well, go go leave a review and pretend you're leaving a comment. There we go. (laughs) Pretend you're participating because it's cool. (laughs) Logistical question. Have we only released like two of the episodes from this season? Three. Okay. Yes. Three. Yeah. Cool. Yes. So you're getting sneak peek to the rest of the series. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're getting sneak it's, peek. It's yeah. like so, yeah. reading Spoilers. the last line of the page. Oh, yeah. The last we talked line about of the book before. <laughs> yeah. Because some people are strange like that and, and do that. <laughs> so, some people. Some people. Some people. Some people. Very much the don't spoil anything. I want to be completely surprised. Which is an interesting... I mean, so there's an interesting tangent about how how one reads. This is something I've seen coming up for myself a little bit as um, me and a couple of friends are talking through Wheel of Time. We're comparing the show to the books and what is the experience of like someone like me who hasn't read the books watching the show compared to these these two who like, you know, nerd out liberally over like the books and the game. And what, what I'm noticing is I like to just like enter a story world and just be carried away by it, which is lovely and probably makes me a really good reader. But it also, I have to like really work to like enter into like an active, active, active reading, active listening context to like look for like what's, what's going on in the, in the themes and all of that, mm-hmm. which I'm discovering is a lot harder on a show than in a book because oh yeah, I just, the, the medium like disengages me quite a bit more. Okay. So 1984, the end. So briefly narrating. So here at the end, so last we left Winston, he was in the hands of O'Brien and they were debating on whether or not there are four or five lights. Wait, that was Captain Picard and the Cardassians. Still Uh, one of the best episodes (laughs) of The Next Generation. One of the best episodes. Yes. There are four lights. Oh, such a great line. So O'Brien is torturing Winston and... And it kind of comes out that Big Brother's aim is not just to dominate, but but to really to convert, mm-hmm. and and that's their idea of like how they heal people, heal society as they 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 convert them, and through like all like the pressure of torture and everything, the a person is made to internalize the message of Big Brother and essentially to start like crime stopping themselves. So. So chapter so in the in this last section chapters four five and six in chapter four Winston is starting to try to do that and he's been given some some comforts and he's starting to try to uh, and the, the term here is, is crime stop himself where he's now trying to regulate and police his own thoughts the way the big brother wants him to and in return he's he's not in the same prison situation I think and. And he's got a little bit more freedom. Uh, he's not able to do it quite as perfectly or quite effectively as he wants to. And so he has a brief stint in the dreaded room 101. And and we can talk about kind of what happens to him there. And then after 
what happens in there, there there's a time jump of like 30 or 40 years. And and then we see him like at, at the end and, and, how, and how it all works. And so I, I think there there's a lot of things that come up here, again, related to uh, a little bit related to torture and how we interact with pain versus not pain and thinking about comparing the fear of pain versus the fear of loss of liberty, uh, comparing the, the killing of the body versus the killing of the soul and, and things like that. What are some things that jump out to you two as we get into this? I think just the, the overall level of despair still remains. So we see at the end of the end of these chapters and the end of this book that Winston finds himself almost in love with Big Brother. And I say almost because that that is what is portrayed in the book. But at the very same time, he's still like waiting and hopeful that he's going to get shot in the head. Mm-hmm. And so it's like there is there's this thing that's broken within him. And it was just this weird dissonant note to the the whole sort of brainwashing thing, which I thought was interesting. I think that one of the biggest things that I saw was, or that I am trying to take away, I guess, or find a takeaway for, we see Winston uh, end up betraying, quote unquote, Julia in this. Um, They lift a cage of rats up to his head and rats, we find out, is Winston's most deep fear. He ends up realizing somehow that the only way that he could save himself is to tell them to torture Julia instead. And it's to me, I see this breaking down of personal connections. I think we've we've brought up a lot about community and uh, connections throughout the throughout this book and kind of the the necessity of them. And we see Winston here in these last six or so chapters completely pulled away out of that, where he's losing now his ground in reality, and he becomes so much more malleable because he's honestly on his own. Yeah, I I agree that the isolation is super drawn out or super super well developed through throughout the arc of the story. And and I'm just thinking about like kind of the end of it where Winston's, you know, he's all by himself. He's got his he's got his creature comforts and everything, but he's like alone in the world, alone in his mind. And I agree. <laughs> yeah, when we lose our community, we we die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would say yeah, it is a lot like that. Like Winston you going through all this torture, he loses like so much of himself. He loses, you know, the little bit of identity he had as well as all of his, you know, supports like like Julia, she may not have been a good support or a strong support, but she was still a support. Um so he loses all those things. But what I found really interesting was like, despite losing so much and being so broken, he still did have that tiny bit of hope. He still want like at the very end, he's still hoping that maybe, maybe when he hears what's going to happen on this, on this broadcast that um, Oceania will fall and the the party will be taken down. Like he still has that tiny little bit of hope. And it's only when he hears the news that they had a really big victory that he, he gives up and he really truly surrenders the last, like, I don't think at that point he even really hoped for, for being shot. He just gave up all his hope. And that's, that's the sad part for me when he lost his hope. Yeah, that does seem to be kind of the only thing that that he could lose. I I was always thinking about it. I was thinking, you know, thinking about how like the how he's depicted in the end as this junk fat old man who the description of like the job they give him is just awesomely terrible. It, the, he they write he had been appointed to a subcommittee of a subcommittee which had sprouted from one of the innumerable committees dealing with minor difficulties that arose in the compilation of the 11th edition of the oh. Dictionary. And I'm just like, oh gosh, shoot me now. <laughs> so I, I was like, they gave him a job that's not even a job. They're just like, this will keep you busy for a while. Right. Maybe. And, and he, I mean, he's talking <laughs> about it. I mean, they're having, you know, meetings for the sake of meetings that, and they, and they all know that, 
like they these meetings aren't doing anything and in in orwell's world like they don't even have like email to say this meeting should have been one instead <laughs> so but it, but I'm, I'm thinking about how okay so so winston's working this worthless useless job he's all alone he's drinking like all the time he's drinking and sleeping he's and and internally doing a lot of things to not think about things and to not think and to not feel and he's just he, he's all alone and it's it's like his his fate worse than death is not actually to die in pain but to live a long and comfortably useless half life mm-hmm. but but in contrast though like in a sense like not a lot really changed because i mean even before julia and everything he wasn't really doing anything either i mean Mm-hmm. Kind of. I mean, he had more, he had a little bit more volition, a little bit more awareness. Like the the work he did, like actually had some impact on like the big brother because he was like actively participating in, in what they were doing. But at this point, he's not even doing that. But but I don't know. It, it's like he never really had that much going for him anyway. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, like all that happened was he had torture added to that. And then like any semblance of he was doing something also got stripped away. So yes, uh, <laughs> You're kind of kind of miserable in that way <laughs> what what a nice uplifting book right <laughs> marveling in the contrast They're just like i mean i mean i mean we we did great divorce before this and i was just i don't know like the trajectory was so different because the world yeah. was different like and i mean the great divorce everything was was just getting more interesting and more compelling and like you were really able to see you know this I don't know. There, there was a definite upward progression, which was really exciting. And this one is just like spiraling and spiraling and really dismal. Right. Well, and it's it's not just a difference in worldview, um, but a difference in like what what the target point of the book is. Like mm-hmm. in, in some ways, they're both kind of warning books, but this one is so much more. Like The Great Divorce was just a not necessarily even a warning, but another another view into what what comes after looks like whereas here george orwell is really speaking to a lot of dangers in society i would guess in the the current society mm-hmm. and playing playing some things out to what he would see as their logical conclusion mm-hmm. it's very dismal it's very very dismal yeah there was a there, this is there's a note about worldview we could we could think about a little a little bit um well Lots of worldview notes uh, here. Mm-hmm. I think it came out a little bit. Oh, now I might be crossing conversations. I think that in the manifesto chapter, it came out why there needs to be no religion in a in a society like this. Although I did also listen to a podcast that was talking through some similar things like this, and I know that talked about also. So I might be <laughs> I might be cross pollinating here. But anyway, so. Uh, thinking about why does worldview religion matter? So in the chapter five, in the room 101 scene, so at one point, so there's, so O'Brien is telling Winston about why he needs to have this really specific, highly tailored pain. And O'Brien says, by itself, pain is not always enough. There are occasions when a human being will stand out against the pain, even to the point of death. But for everyone, there is something unendurable, something that cannot be contemplated. Courage and cowardice are not involved. And... When he's talking about this, uh, you know, and he'll use the image of like when you're drowning, it's not a moral or immoral thing to reach for like a life raft or, or something, uh, which kind of makes sense. Uh, but what I'm feeling, though, is that there's this baseline assumption of like the nature of people as being really animalistic. We might try to have our values and preferences, but at the end of it, we're really just our reflexes. And at, at the end of it, you know, apply enough comfort or enough pain and really we will do whatever the lever, the lovers want us to do because uh, like, like at the core of it, like we're, we're really just animals or we're really just like walking bundles of impulses mm. and we'll respond to like the strongest stimuli one way or the other. And, and how that plays out in service of big brother is getting people to abandon their values or make confessions and everything. And so I, I feel like there is, a little bit of worldview playing out in like what it what it what is the nature of of a person, you know. If we see a person as surely an animal, as surely uh, a mechanistic, you know, bundle of fibers, then this sort of thing makes sense and feels con- uh, consistent with that. That yeah, we just apply the right stimuli and get the right reflexes out, and and we're good, which feels very different than. 
And again, um, yeah, in all of these torture scenes, I'm comparing, you know, Winston's experience to to that of the martyrs, and you know, and there's there's you know this sense which we we talked about a little bit last time, like if they're if a person has no sense of there being anything other than the life, anything other than the body, then yeah, like any sort of pain, torture becomes just completely unacceptable and, and useless and just can't happen. If they're, once you open yourself to the idea that, hey, maybe there, there's more, then there's this idea that, you know, the body is, is a vehicle, pain is a vehicle, it's transitory, temporary, and might even have some benefit. And when you have that sense of what that higher purpose is, suddenly there's a reason to endure the pain and and it can be endured you know, much more effectively. But I guess what I'm seeing is that uh, if we if we see people as anything less than the bearers of the image of God, not just animals, not just machines, and if we if we see ourselves and so if we if we see others as anything less than this, then we we open ourselves to both practice upon others and likewise be practiced upon by others in the most atrocious ways, like we see here in Orwell's novel. That was my late night epiphany. I'd, I'd love to know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you in a lot of ways. I think we do see, like Steph pointed out earlier, that Winston does have a form of resistance, um, at least up until the very end. And it's, it, it is interesting to see, like, I, I don't know how much Orwell would agree with the idea that we are just mechanical bags of impulses and neurons. I'd be really curious. I can't say either way um, based on this reading, but I think you're, you're right for sure is just see, um, seeing other people as a means to an end is very dangerous and more commonplace than I would care to admit in my own life. Like pure, purely speaking of myself, I find myself viewing other people um, are you guys familiar with the uh, with the acronym M- NPC? Other than that's the initials of my editor. No, <laughs> no. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, non playable character. So the oh. I, the idea uh, kind of stems from this thing in video games, in role playing games, things like that. Like there are these characters throughout the world that are they're just characters, but they they're non playable, and typically they are in the in purely game mechanic uh, a means to an end and so you know they might give you a quest and then they give you the gold at the end of the at the end of the quest things like that um but they have no real impact on um on you quote unquote as the as the protagonist in the in the game and i think we but i can't say we for certain so i will attempt to say i have this tendency subconsciously to view people kind of as NPCs. And part of it comes from an overwhelming, uh, like it's overwhelming to really take into account all of somebody else's story and um, history and wants and desires. And so there's, there's a portion of that that might be kind of a mental um, shortcut, I guess, but also it gets really dangerous because, you know, it's really easy for me to watch somebody else's suffering who I can't identify with or who I who I view, maybe not consciously, but still view as that sort of NPC sort of a thing. And I think that's a lot of what gets us into kind of what we would see here in the book. Uh, I think it's a lot of what's going on with current world affairs. As Hermosa mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you know, we're, we're currently staring down the gun of a lot of scary stuff. And there's a lot of pain that's happening in Ukraine right now. But viewing, viewing a country or a group of people or whatever as a resource or a means to an end, it's very logical uh, what's going on. Viewing people as image bearers of God, it's very, very different. And it's something that I still struggle to remember and bring to the conscious forefront of my mind um, because it changes our interactions and it changes the way that we, we want to do things where, you know, now I see you as an image bearer. I, I hopefully care for you. It might not be 
in the same way that I care for somebody really close to me, but I should care for you as a human being that you are worthy of love. Sorry, that was a little bit circuitous. No, I I agree with that. I think we see, we feel that in a lot of a lot of different places in our society. Like I would say, working at the grocery store, like you're trained to, you know, view your employees and your workers as just part of the machine and not necessarily as people with other things going on in their lives. And you know, you take a, a minute to to talk to somebody, and you're like, oh man, you know, you're your kids are sick. You know, you haven't slept in four nights. Well, of course you're going to work poorly today, Mm -hmm. but we don't take the time to ask that. We just say, this is the standard and this is what you need to get done. And you better do it, you know, no matter what's going on in your life. And so if you start, and that's just at your job, you know, look at the rest of the world around you. And Mm. what are the other places in your life that are telling you the same thing? So I think it's very easy to become the, you know, the, in, or to, to view the world as NPCs and yourself as the main character. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also, it's hard to relate sometimes to other people. You know, you only know what is going on in your mind and how you yeah. feel. You can try to, to imagine what it's like for somebody else. But even like, even me in my own family, like I might have a hard time relating to what my husband is going mm. through because we're not the mm-hmm. same person and we're not going to relate to things the same way. It, it does bring to mind is um, similarities do help. There was a call and I'm going to attempt to remain as non-political as I can. It was a call out that just really struck me personally. I was watching a video online and talking about current stuff going on in Ukraine, um, how concerned the Western world is and the European world is. And somebody had pointed out like a lot of this type of stuff has been happening in, uh, in the Middle East for a long time, which may or may not be backed by political motives from here in the States. I'm not going to get into that, but this is not, this is, this is nothing that is incredibly new and has been going on actively, but seemingly we only started caring about it Uh, with Ukraine, there is a fairly, I think, important critique, whether or not it is honestly completely accurate, I cannot say for anybody else. Uh, But an important critique is is that the people in Ukraine are a lot closer in similarities to me, white, hetero, European, blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, the same, why why is it that I suddenly feel so much more concern over that, whereas I I have at least been peripherally aware of the things going on, the bombings, et cetera, going on in Yemen from the Saudis, stuff like that. And like, why do I care more about it here? And I think it comes back to that same concept of like, you know, viewing people as the other or the NBC or things like that. And it's, it's, it's tough to break. It is so tough to break. It's a fair question. And I mean, I mean, that's playing out on the global scale in that sense of like, yeah, we're all like, we're, you know, having like hashtags about what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, never minding all of the stuff that's like going on in Africa. And that has always been, uh, or the Middle East or, or any of the other, you know, innumerable, you know, we could maybe fairly say non-white conflicts that are going on out there. So mm-hmm. it's a thing. Anyway, you know, on, on a smaller scale too, I mean, It'd be really easy. And again, I mean, part of the, you know, part, part of my privilege status lets me like not really pay attention to like what's going on in the rest of the country, mm-hmm. my own country, mm-hmm. because it's just, it's just, it's just removed enough. It's, it's not in my immediate scope. And so I don't know, I'm, I'm having some, some mixed feelings about this too, though, about, because, uh, because I can feel where there is that pressure in that narrative to say, pay attention to the world, be informed, be, be aware, because that makes you a better person in a sense. But I'm lately countering that with this narrative or there's, I'm aware of this other counter narrative that's saying, well, but you can't save the world. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you on your own cannot really actually have beneficial impact very far away from yourself. Right. And so better to focus your efforts on becoming a peaceful person in your own self. Uh, it's that idea of, you know, you know, blessed are the peacemakers or acquire the inner stillness uh, so that your immediate circle then begins to, to benefit from that. Mm-hmm. And I guess the idea is like, 
it feels like really capitalist to think about it in these terms, but like then, but then the spread, the duplication, the multiplication of this like inner piece, you know, happens more slowly at the more personal level, not on a systemic level, but it, but a bit is slower. So I don't sure. know. I say so as I can feel, I think I can, I can see like the, the offerings of both perspectives and also where they're going to clash. And I guess it's up to the, the individual to kind of, kind of get a sense for, mm-hmm. Where, where they're not going to land. But I, I would say, though, whichever route you go, though, should be an active and intentional choice, not just, you know, <laughs> not, not like our 1984 protagonist mm-hmm. just kind of like drinking away uh, and like being being oblivious to things. Yeah. Which, like, speaking of as a side tangent, I didn't realize that when he said 40 years, that that was the 40 years after we see him in Room 101. Has he just been downing gin and he's 80? I can't even do that now. Uh, yeah, he he might be. Oh, wow. that, that was I that was how I, I read it. it was like we're, yeah, I I read it as we're we're seeing him like as as an old man, like and like when he and Julia meet, they're obviously mm-hmm. old together, huh? Which, which yeah, I mean, and not just uh, yeah, that, that's a, a whole lot of gin, and yeah, and I'm also like that's a whole lot of like non-functional committee meetings too. Oh yeah, oh god. Uh-huh. Anyways, sorry, yeah. Steph. I think I interrupted you. No, you're fine. You're fine. No, I, that is a long time to just drink shit and to have basically no real like purpose in your life. Like I would say at least his work before was kind of purposeful. There was a reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't great work. It was, you know, just fixing, fixing things to make the truth what the party wants it to be. But like now they're just debating brackets in the dictionary. (laughs) Commas go after Uh brackets. I I, I like underline that section because it's it's I did. I I underlined it. (laughs) So (laughs) I I actually I actually said that with uh, with people who know what they're writing. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Do they go after brackets? (laughs) Um, I think it depends. Okay. I know I create the stories. I need somebody else to help the grammar work. (laughs) I what Uh, I do is I look it up in a style guide that's about this fat. (laughs) And that's how I know for sure it's right or not. Nice. Nice. Uh, have either of you or Stephanie in particular, have you read the book Eats, Shoots, and Leaves? (gasps) I love that book. Yeah. I haven't. Oh my goodness, yeah. So I haven't either. My, my wife is reading it and just like really delighted, delightfully loving it. Uh, I guess it's it's written by this um, British lady who is just like you know tired of people using bad grammar and punctuation. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the phrase "eat, shoots, and leaves," depending on which commas mm-hmm. you put in, tells either the story uh-huh. of like some panda bear or some like restaurant holdup. Yeah, but. Yeah. Detail, details of grammar apparent they they are significant because uh, you know precision of language but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna start a couple of counseling concepts because i can and i want to <laughs> so, sounds good let's hear it so jake your your idea of the the npc thanks for enlightening me with yet another acronym i i work in software my whole life is acronyms <laughs> <laughs> i know mine too counselors have too many acronyms but I was, I mean, I was thinking about pornography as a kind mm-hmm. of the, for me in my industry, like the, the, the in your face example of that all the time is just like, yeah, I have this whole horde of faces or not even faces, just like body parts, like, mm-hmm. and not even like whole bodies, just like, you know, this, the, that body part that, uh, that a person wants and, and it's completely transactional. It's completely like, I'm after this for my own pleasure, even if that's like the pleasure of, you know, self-expression or something and people get used and and honestly, it's not just in pornography, though. Like, it's it's this whole approach to relationships that I see, where people get into a relationship because they're like, "Oh yeah, this person's compatible with me. This person meets my needs. I get satisfaction out of this." There's there's not really any sense of I'm entering this relationship as yet another means of preparing for my death, or I'm entering this relationship to to suffer and then to have character growth as a result of that. Uh, you know, which is a little bit more. The, the orthodox approach to relationships, which I don't like at all. Uh, but but in a way, like it also makes more sense to to, to think of relationships that way because it's like, oh, well, now this really difficult thing 
makes more sense and works better because I have like a little bit different way of understanding what it is. You know, as you as you two are talking about how we look at you know wars and everything, and do we care? And and I was thinking about you know this global empathy fail that that we do, and and there's I mean there's a little bit difference between empathy and just sheer like curiosity, and mm-hmm. and that's with with me and my work a major part of what I'm trained to do and what I try to do and what I try to help people do for themselves and for each other is to become aware of their own lives and just be curious about it and just be open to learning about what it is, which if a person can do that, it becomes a platform for now I can do that for another person. I can say, here's this other person who might look very similar to me or look very different than me. But if I'm able to just be curious and just wonder who is this person or what is this thing about them, um, that becomes the platform for extending some compassion and and there's something about that sort of unhindered absolute presence yeah. that is the healing energy that that people need. You know, in the uh, in the uh, in the last chapter, of Winston's you know dream flashback memory of like this time when like his his mostly absentee mom like plays some games with him. Like I know that that scene almost made me tear up. Just like just like the profound. A it was like a rare thing for him in his childhood, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. just this like tiny little island of like attachment and attunement and community and nurture and togetherness and something that's been by and large completely absent for most of his life and certainly is absent now and and you know just thinking like how much different is a person who has an abundance of that sort of attachment and connection and the the security of knowing hey yeah there's these people that are here for me there's something incredibly healing about that and so you know, when we get around people much better, you know, rather than trying to, you know, debate with them or criticize them or, or even just like talk, talk shop with them. Uh, sometimes just like wondering about a person and just listening and affirming, affirm, affirming the, the inner intricacies of a person's inner life right. tends to be a really healing thing. I think, I think a lot of times, like as parents, we focus so much on, the the big memories for our kids that we we don't pay attention to those little things like mm, you were just talking so about important. the game that Winston played and how of all the the memories of his childhood I mean and to be fair there were a lot of bad ones but that's the one that that he remembers in that moment it's you know his mom taking time to buy a really crappy game like it's not well quality um a good quality but he took she took the time and just played it with him and it was like one of the best days of his life and i think we can apply that now like we focus so much on well let's let i want to take my kids to to disneyland or or something big when i think a lot of what your kids remember the most and really treasure is the little times that you spend with them like for me my dad took us to the grocery store every single week with him and like i know we were not great like <laughs> i know we fought the whole time me and my sister but like he took us every single week and the grocery store is one of my favorite places to go and just wander around and shop because i have all those memories of my dad mm-hmm. you know and i think the the little times that our parents take with us they do they leave a big impression and it's worthwhile yeah yeah that smites me with conscience as I'm thinking about like, I mean, I get like a point of contention for, for, for me, my, my, my kids is like, like the brushing teeth and like the, like the getting ready for bed. And it's, it can be like so contentious because I'm, I, I, I guess so much in this task mentality of like, it's got to get done and like stop bursting toothpaste and like get really unreasonably grumpy. And, <laughs> but like, I should have this mentality of like, oh yeah, like it's, this is, time together, time to connect and could be quite a bit nicer if I could just get over myself and relax. So mm-hmm. anyway, so that's my, that's my challenge to myself. And if you happen to see me on the street, you can ask me, it's like, Hey, have you been nice to your kids when they're brushing their teeth? And I'll maybe quiver and want to run away, but I will attempt to answer, <laughs> you, answer you honestly. <laughs> I yeah. could do the same thing, but it's when my, my daughter's getting ready for school in the morning. It's like, you don't have time for breakfast if you don't put on your clothes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I could be nicer too. 
Yes. Thank you both for pouring your hearts out about that. I'm going to segue now. One of the other really uh, dramatic concepts is this idea of crime stop. That it's, uh, it's a 1984 lingo word. And so how you can let me know how you understood this. How I understand this is Winston now becoming his own internal thought police, mm-hmm. where he, he now knows under threat of lots of pain and torture, what sorts of thoughts get him in trouble or what sorts of thoughts do not comply with the party. And, and he's, he's recognized like big brother has recognized, like I think is a real thing that, you know, thoughts have consequences and the things we think become the things we say, become the things we do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so because of all of the torture and everything, and as he's on his road to becoming a big brother, right. He's like policing himself. And there's some really fascinating things he says about this where let's see. He says, if you want to keep it secret, you must hide it from yourself. And he also talks about uh, stupidity was as necessary as intelligence and is difficult to, to attain. And what's, what's stunning about this is just like the level of intentionality he takes to this like inner schisming of himself. And in, uh, again, so in my counseling work, in the, using the internal family systems model, we talk a lot about our, our protector parts, but also our exile parts. And it's parts that we consciously or unconsciously don't allow to be present in ourselves. And what I see here in Crime Stop is Winston, he is actively exiling parts of himself and actively mm. unwelcoming thoughts and feelings and anything that this super protector part of big brother, his big brother part, his big brother part uh, doesn't like almost anything. And so he has to put a lot of work into exiling things. And what I, and like the whole of my work is, is dealing with the, 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 the fallout from having these exile parts or having these inner conflicts and what happens when people are not able to, be fully present with themselves or allow their thoughts to happen. And, and it's not to say every thought is good. And it's not to say you need to act on every thought you have. And it's, it's not to say you are the thoughts you think, or you are the feelings you feel uh, like this whole idea of like, I'm going to go with like, like who I truly am, whatever. Like most people who use that word talk about, I want to do what's most comfortable for me, which is not the same as your identity. Mm-hmm. But but all, this, all that to say, so it's, uh, I don't know. I was just, I was just really stunned watching this whole like governmental regime built on training people to create exiles within their own selves. And, and that creates a lot of anxiety and internal distress. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm like, no wonder he's downing Jen all day. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It just, it breaks the mind to, to, it breaks the mind to like actively be breaking your own mind in this sort of sense. So you're right. I would say not healthy. I don't recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. That whole, part of exiling thoughts. I mean, I think, I think we've talked about it a few times on the podcast. You know, we, we can apply it a little bit more generally uh, to our lives. Like for me, I know growing up, I kind of had to do that with quote unquote negative emotions, you know, anger, things like that. I wasn't allowed to be angry. And that took me until I was 20, what, 26, I think. Uh, till I finally started going to counseling and, uh, she was like, no, that, that stuff that happened to you was wrong and awful. And it is okay to be angry about that. It is correct to be angry about that. And it's not necessarily that that anger defines me or that I am, I am only that anger, but that anger is a part of my experience, uh, and what I, where I am at least now. And that was so incredibly freeing. And I still have a, a hard time with that, with that concept because Growing up, especially in in some of the religious contexts that I did, not that scripture teaches this, uh, it was very much the idea of like negative emotions are bad and sinful, which is not at all what scripture teaches. <laughs> like if you go through a lot of, especially the Old Testament books, holy cow. But, you know, lear- learning to shed a lot of that and bringing that part of myself back into me and allow and accepting that part of me who is who is feeling these emotions. You know, it's helped me helped me a lot with at least understanding myself if that makes sense mm-hmm. absolutely i'm so glad you got into counseling and uh have gotten to have that sort of facilitated context for getting to know yourself 
Um, <laughs> I was going to say, you're such a nicer person because of it, but I honestly, <laughs> I mean, you've always been a nice person Aww. for how long I've known you. But anyway, I had something kind of profound I was going to say about that, but I forgot it. Ah, dang it, Jake, your niceness hey, is overwhelming. All, yeah, all I heard was that I'm a nice person. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's good. Yes, allowing feelings. Oh, no, that was it. Uh, so, because, yeah, you're, you're reflecting on growing up in these you know, kind of restrictive cultures. Uh, I think for me, I mean, it was like, I mean, anything to do with sex, sexuality, was just mm-hmm. like, you know, not mm-hmm. not welcome. And so that, that was the thing that got, got exiled. And then like in my family culture, it was very much anything other than like, you know, happy and magical and momentous moments is just like not not okay. So, yeah, I mean, my, yeah. my, my broader family culture, I, I, I like to say like our, our core values are magic and humor. Which makes for some really fun, uh, <laughs> raucous, you know, holiday gatherings. But then when you when you kind of realize like it has to be like that all of the time, it gets it, it feels different. Yeah, it, it's quite literally draining. Yes, very much so. Which, if any of my family members do listen to this, know that I love you and I love our family gatherings, and I really wish I could be there more often. But, uh, <laughs> but I also wish we could gather and I could talk to you instead of just singing silly songs. So here, here, here's the last more meta tangent that we, that we can go on before we, we wind down our merry way. So, uh, so watching, so the conclusion of this, uh, as Winston has converted, and I think like that, yeah, the most disturbing aspect of the story for me is the way that Big Brother is a really, it really darkly mirrors like, like the sanctification salvation process in a way. And that they're very much they're they're not just after a person's behavior they're after a person's like internal world and their internal sort of in their mm-hmm. <laughs> after the soul and so mm-hmm. uh, you know so and so and ends up you know people like like Winston and Julia they really come up against this conundrum of well you know do you fear him who kills the body or him who kills the soul more and you know so anyway so that that's going on but uh, um they're uh, some big big brothers trying to you know, convert people in the way that not, not in the way that the church would, I think. Well, in the way that the church should, (laughs) you're correct. Have I, have we all probably all three of us experienced stuff where the church did kind of operate this way? Yeah. Not that it is a good thing. Not that it is scriptural, not that it is, but it is, (laughs) it's a, in a way it's a logical trope, right? If we're if we're looking at things in the way of power and success, mm-hmm. it absolutely makes sense, and it's it's a dangerous trap. It is so easy to fall into. Mm-hmm. I was there in parts of it uh, back when I used to work in ministry, and so I, I I understand the why, I guess, and why it can happen. But yeah, it's you know it, it's a you're right. It's this interesting dark mirror, and I didn't really pick up on it until you said so. But I mean, it's not the first time that I've heard Christianity specifically, but religion compared to something like Big Brother in 1984. Mm. And I can yeah. see where people get it from. I absolutely do because we could. we have operated like that as a mm. you know taking all Christendom into account. Not that all Christendom does this, but a lot of it has. Mm. You know, it is really interesting for me because. Mm. So, 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 so Winston, you know, facing big brother, I mean, there's a sense of you have to submit to the party line and there is no truth other than what, what the, what the party says. And, and yeah, I mean, so coming from within, you know, Eastern Orthodoxy, I mean, I mean, we wouldn't say it like that, but you, but you, you could pull out that like, we, we, we can, we have kind of a, kind of a similar sort of idea of like, I mean, we we would make the claim that we, we have the fullness of, of the Christian faith. And, and, and we talk a lot about, you know, obedience, obedience to, to one's elders. And we are a hierarchical, uh, system and, and we'll, and we'll talk about, you know, humility being the, the, the prime virtue, which I mean, I mean, and, and this, I believe for, for a lot of reasons, but, uh, you know, like humility is the only, the only virtue that like the devil cannot imitate and, and everything. And so, so there, there, there is a little bit of that sense of you have to submit to this authority, Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm putting it kind of, kind of crudely, kind of making it a little exaggerated there. What, but, but again, though, what the, the differences I think come out in like the context and in the intent in that, you know, big brother is like after power for power's sake, you're not going to give that up. Like, like the Orthodox church, 
not out for power. They're not out. I mean, they have influence at this point because they're a big organization and they, and they're and everything, but they're, they're not out for ideally <laughs> they're, they're not out for like, you know, political power or, or might or things. Uh, granted, this has been done badly and there are some really, I mean, when, and where the church has strayed from this and tried to get involved in politics, it's always been a bad idea. And so, you know, we've, we've, we've mm-hmm. seen that we've tried that and it hasn't worked. And the big brothers out to like, I mean, they're, they're using the language of like healing people, but it's really, they need people to submit and like fuel the machine. Whereas I would say like, like the intent of orthodoxy, you know, Christianity is really to save people really to mm-hmm. change and heal people from the inside out so that they might be saved. And, you know, I know obviously, you know, orthodoxy is not threatening as people with torture. I mean, maybe promising martyrdom, but like that, that's a little different thing. Mm-hmm. And for sure, within orthodoxy, there isn't a sense of, you know, God's angry at you and going to get you if you don't believe just right. I mean, it's more of the sense of like, uh, yeah, yeah, God's got God's a fire that's going to fill everything anyway. And so it's more of a sense of like, you need to become some, you need to be converted into something that's fireproof. Then you need to like appease someone who's angry at you. I think the other big difference is that with with Big Brother, there's not a choice. You have no choice. This is what it is, mm-hmm. and you have to submit, or you know you're you're going to go through torture and end up being killed eventually. But with with the Christian faith, there is a choice. You can choose that, or you can choose not to. It's it's always your choice, and so I think that's that's the thing that stands out to me the most as being different, like. So that you have a lot more say in what you want to do. Yeah, I think we forget to approach our faith like that uh, and mm-hmm. approach the, our um, our gospel like that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. We have to be careful with these I- ideas of theories of salvation, et cetera, eschatology and things like that. Partly, many in, way, er, in many ways, words are hard today, uh, in many ways, because we just don't, there's so much that we still don't know. But at the same time, like we have twisted what we do know to this, you know, fall in line or else sort of a thing. And again, it becomes, if we are not careful, it can become mm-hmm. fall in line with me mm-hmm. or else. Yeah. It can be very much, you need to fall in line with what I believe and what I think, because what I think is correct. Mm-hmm. When the thing is that we're all trying to understand what the, the Bible is saying. And sometimes we understand it incorrectly. And some of it, I think, I mean, you have people who studied it for years and they all have different opinions. So you read it through your own lenses and your own worldviews and you're going to have a different understanding. Yep. Oh, you guys are smart. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that for myself. (laughs) (laughs) I have good days and bad days. Ditto. I mean, it could say you guys are opinionated, but that just has a different nuance. (laughs) 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 In which case, I'm going to say, yes, me too. Very much me too. There's a, yeah, there, there's a lot more. I mean, there's, there's a lot more we could say and dig out of this. I think I'm going to, I'm going to cut it, cut it for time. Although if we, if we do indeed come back and like talk over the movie, uh, uh, another thought I'd love to think about is um, like how uh, how did we get there anyway? Like how do we mm-hmm. how does one how does how does the government get there right. to the, the Big Brother status? And and I don't think it's just they have better guns. I I, mm-hmm. I would wonder about how how are the ways that people allow it or participate in it or even right. bring it about and the that could be like startling and disturbing perhaps like like i don't know for sure i'm not a political science expert and everything so i am not going to be able mm-hmm. to make super super definitive statements but uh, i think that might be a valuable thing to explore a little bit uh yeah. maybe maybe when we talk yeah. about the movie if we get to do that that'd be cool i'm down yeah all right let's do some pitches also shout outs i think we have a listener in japan hey that's awesome that's so cool hey that's really cool. Uh, shout outs to that person. Also, shout outs to our listeners in Washington and Iowa. Oh, wait, that's you too. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> My family. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Yes, I love all of them. 
Yes. So our book for next time, which uh, I already did in guesses, what book that is. Can I say it out loud? Yes. Okay. Uh, it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely Fight Club. It's absolutely Fight Club. Only way you can't talk about it. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's... Uh, it is on my list. So I'm excited. I need to, I need to read it and listen along because I have not personally read all the way through. I just read like the first chapter or two and got distracted. I'm horrible. If I get distracted reading a book, it's just gone. <laughs> yeah. I have a, I have a, I have, I have a, never a few read scattered it. books like that that were started. Yeah. That's good. Reading it and then like reading it and comparing it to the movie is, is a really interesting thing. And then mm-hmm. we, we do that a lot. That's cool. So the, so that'll be for, so that'll be a fun experience. So for the last couple of books we've done here, uh, our books that like we haven't read going into it, uh, Fight Club's different in that both me and my brother had both read it before and oh. seen the movie. So we, so we knew a lot going into it. And so that's cool. different, different perspective mm-hmm. on that, which, which should be fun. So that's, that's coming up in actual linear time. It's already been done, but in podcast time, it will still be yet to happen. <laughs> Grammar's fun. <laughs> Yes. Also, though, in case a listener decides after 1984 they're done, would you two like to uh, pitch your own projects or other websites, other podcasts, other editing sites and everything? Sure. I guess I can go first. So I have the chance to uh, be on a couple of other podcasts right now. It's really been really cool. Uh, the one that I edit and uh, co-host is Scotch and Socialism. Uh, we talk well, really, it's a variety show. We talk about whatever we want. Uh, but we also drink scotch during it. And uh, we're, we just finished up our second season. Well, in linear time, it will have been a while ago. We're adjusting our format to see how it goes. We'll probably do shorter episodes. Uh, still drinking scotch, though. And then the other podcast that I get to be a part of has been really cool. It's called Broken. <laughs> Best of luck trying to find it because there's a lot of podcasts by the name. I might see if we can put the link or something in the in the description here. But it's a fly-on-the-wall podcast uh, where a few of us here in Spokane, we set up mics at a donut shop that's actually just down the road from my house. Uh, and the owner is in on the podcast, too. And we just talk about you know, our experiences um, in life and specifically within the church and you know the things that we're struggling with right now, how we're viewing what's going on, typically within the church world. Um, and we also talk about you know, some of the stuff that's been going down at the soup kitchen that we all volunteer for on Sundays. So it's really cool, really wonderful hosts. It's a, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah. I am, well, I've been making a change from being a grocery manager to an editor. So um, I, yeah, it's very exciting. But so I've been, I started an internship this last January. I'm doing that from January to July and getting lots of practice, uh, with all sorts of different kinds of editing, different kinds of genres. And it's just really, really fun. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not really anywhere cool. else, but that's what I'm doing. And I'm really happy about it. It's that's fun. awesome. That's really great. And your uh, website is Bennett's Edits? Bennett'sEdits.com. Love it. Yep. Cool. I have endeavored to post those links into the Facebook live feed, which hopefully people can get to. <laughs> uh, yes. And I did try to find the broken podcast and did not find it. If <laughs> you want to find that and post that. And cause I think, I think the, I think the video stays on Facebook until the end of time. <laughs> uh, who knows? I don't know if I do. I have access to like copy into, I don't have a chat window on my side. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so, I don't know but I can. Either. I will send it to you. You in could Messenger. probably comment later. Okay. It should, as long as you don't that delete the video, it should still be there. Sweet. According to how it does okay. when I run the church lives. I love it. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, messages. Okay, we're trying. We're getting. This is like the most technologically fancy thing I've done <laughs> ever. <laughs> and we're doing it live. Yes. <laughs> now that we've tried something like a morning show. We should also try a late show. Ooh, that way I can drink gin. <laughs> that way I can drink gin. Yeah. Yes, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Okay. All right, this is taking a long time to load and I'm getting impatient. So we will get those links up and they'll for sure show up in... Oh, wait, there it is. I'm trying again. So while I am trying this, uh, yes, do check out the Patreon and please do... 
rate and review the show, share it around, and I'm getting Jake's podcast in here, whether you like it or not. Ah, <laughs> ah there it is. Okay. The podcast is... Jake's other podcast is... <laughs> posted under the facebook thing and that is cool so yes listener do uh rate and review the show share it around and tell friends and read the books most of all read the books yes. read books be people who yes. read books and read history and tell your story or listen to books don't let anybody shame you for listening to an audiobook instead of reading it it's you get a lot of stuff done when you listen to audiobooks i Accurate. highly recommend them <laughs> yes there are lots of ways to take in books. Please do it. Good books. Mm -hmm. And we'll always debate what actually constitutes a good book. But anyway, thank you very <laughs> much, dear listener, for being with us. Thank you, Jake and Stephanie, for being it's here with us. It's been awesome. Thanks for having us. It's been very fun. Thank you. You're welcome. If you want to come back, I have an idea for a book we can do. Um, but we'll we'll talk about that. Goodbye. Good night. Adios. Farewell. Au revoir. <laughs> paka paka. Bye. is a podcast by Moses Bernabe. If you like what you hear, consider supporting the show with dollars, reviews, or shares, or all of the above. Word and Journey can be found on most major podcast platforms and on my author Patreon at patreon.com slash Moses Bernabe. Moses Bernabe can be found at mosesbernabe.com. Contact info for my most excellent co-hosts can be found in the liner notes. The podcast logo was designed by TJ Todd, with additional development by Moses Bernabe. The theme music is by Aaron Esparza. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>